and TKOs, we are live, episode 24, coming at you on this beautiful Friday evening as uh, I'm your host, Shane Gillette, about to break down all of our MMA action, recapping UFC 295, and uh, I gotta rock my Grizz gear, it's the Montana-Montana State rivalry game tomorrow, Brawl of the Wild, two of the top teams in FCS football, Super excited for that, as the winner will probably get the two seed in the uh, FCS playoff format. So go Grizz, baby. Uh, but we're going to jump right in. We're going to break down some of the fights that have, or talk about some of the fights that have been announced. Uh, we got a little bit of game bread, BKFC results. We have Bellator 301. It's happening right now. I watched a couple of fights before jumping on here. Uh, we'll preview that. And then we are also um, going to preview... Uh, what? I think it's 82. Uh, UFC Fight Night Vegas 82, another Apex card. So let's jump right in. We got Mathus Nicolau matched up against Manel Cop January 13th. This will be a fun banger of a, a flyweight scrap. Uh, going to be a lot on the line for both of these fighters. We have Charles Jordan and Sean Woodson for UFC 297. Uh, we'll be going down in Toronto. Uh, that's going to be a very, very fun um, featherweight fight of two up-and-comers in that division. In light heavyweight, we got a rematch. Jan Blakovich, Alexander Rakic, returning from his injury. Um, you know, the last fight left a little bit more to be desired. So let's book these two to have another top light heavyweight contender going down on the 297 card in Toronto. We have... Megomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker, uh, Johnny Walker rebooked January 13th. I'm glad that, that we got, got that rebooked after the chaos in Abu Dhabi. Um, Vivian Araujo and Natalia Silva, February 3rd. A really, really fun flyweight uh, women's division uh, fight, or maybe strawweight. Um, Araujo has been top of the division. Natalia Silva is trying to get her way up there, so we'll see. Uh, what potential Silva has. We have Dominic Reyes coming back, taking on the hard-hitting Carlos Olberg, UFC 297 in Toronto. So lots of light heavyweight matchups. Reyes has been out for some time, has not been the same since his loss to John Jones, and now he is getting a very talented up-and-comer And Carlos Olberg. We'll see if Olberg could hang up with the top of the division. We have Brad Tavares taking on Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, February 10th. This was originally booked. Uh, Brad had a pullout due to injury. Gregory took on a different opponent. This is going to be one hell of a matchup. I cannot wait for that one. We have Jasmine Jostavicius taking on Priscilla Cohera, UFC 297 in Toronto. And Michael Johnson versus Darius Flowers, February 10th. So lots of fun fights been booked. I'm probably more excited about the... Um, Nicolau Manel Cop fight, Brad Tavares, Gregory Rodriguez, and then the Ankaliyev Johnny Walker um, rebooked fight. We also have news that UFC Fight Night Shanghai will not be happening December 9th. That'll be moving to Vegas. I'm assuming some issues with booking things in Shanghai. Um, the four scheduled road to the UFC fights won't happen and will happen at a later date. That was uh, some of the appeal there is they're going to have the road to the UFC fights, but that will be happening at a later date. Uh, December 15th, big news for Karate Combat. The headlining fight will be Benson Henderson and Anthony Pettis, two familiar foes, ex-UFC studs, going in and taking their talents to Karate Combat, uh, which has definitely been building in popularity. And then in other MMA promotion news, we had the game-bred BKFC action go down, and uh, it was free on YouTube. Tuned in. There were some fun fights. We had uh, Easy Hector Lombard win against, uh, and his fight um, basically shut down his opponent pretty quickly. Uh, so um, XUFC win there. Francisco Trinaldo with a quick win. Uh, he injured his opponent, so he got the quick win. We had Chase Sherman with a nice round one knockout after a massive elbow. This was in Mississippi, in, in, his, in his hometown. Um, the, the crowd loved that. Elsewhere, ex-UFCer Randy Costas, Costa had a vicious win over Jason Knight. 
there was video or images viral on Twitter and Instagram of Jason Knight's face after this. Jason Knight uh, had a stint in the UFC as well and was uh, on the Ultimate Fighter veteran um, crew this year. And then we had Big Country. Uh, I thought he got robbed in a, vict- in a fight against Alan Belcher, one of the best heavyweight BKFC opponents. You know, Roy Country still doing it. Old man. He was just putting that weight on him, tried to grind out a win, and BKFC, I guess, wasn't having it. I did think he won two of the rounds, but they gave it to Alan Belcher. Uh, but fun little card. Not a lot of long fights, pretty quick finishes. Um, but I- I'm loving what Gamebred's doing with his boxing and BKFC and, and getting a lot of the um, pull from the ex-UFC fighters. Happening tonight in Chicago, Bellator 301. We're getting karate combat, game bread, BKFC, Bellator 301. Lots of fun things outside of the UFC. And uh, this is a pretty big card. We have Patricky Frieri versus Alexander Shahibli. Um, I, I just don't know if Patricky's going to be able to get it done. He's, he's older. Shabli looks great. He's younger in his prime. But that'll be a fun lightweight division of the uh, former champion and the up-and-comer. We have Danny Sabatello versus Rafi and Stotts. I would assume Stotts gets the win again, but Sabatello likes to, to, to grapple a lot, so it, it might be a grappling-heavy affair here. We have Sergio Pettis taking on Patchy Mix, probably the most intriguing fight. Definitely a clash of styles as Patchy's a grappler first. Sergio is known for his quick speed. Um, I, I'm really excited to see how that shakes out. You know, this is... Probably two of the better fighters in Bellator and guys that I think could com- could compete in the UFC. We have Yaroslav Amosov taking on J- Jason Jackson for the welterweight title. And then AJ McKee against Sidney Outlaw. AJ McKee trying to get back on track in his dominant run. I'd expect him to get another win here. We have MMA Lab, uh, a guy that trains at the uh, Soul Fighters in Peoria with uh, Sean and Tim. We got Mike Hamill taking on Tim Wilde. Um, I just watched his fight, actually. It was a, a wild fight. Tim Wilde ended up getting the, the finish in the third round. High action, back and forth. Mike rocked him. He got rocked. Uh, it, was, it was a very fun performance. Uh, bummed to see Mike take an L there. We have Timur Kurziev taking on Justin Gonzalez and Islam Mamedov against Kilius Mota. So some solid fights at Bellator 301, last Bellator card before it's officially purchased by the PFL, and then we'll see you know, what happens uh, to a lot of the talent on this roster, free agents, things like that. And then in PFL news, we have the championships coming up. Kayla Harrison was supposed to fight Julia Budd, although it wasn't for a title. But insert Aspen Ladd, she'll be taking on Kayla Harrison. And then Chris Cyborg having another pro uh, boxing bout. She looked great in her last one, January 19th. And then officially Jake Paul's back against Andre August, December 15th in Orlando. And then we have some major boxing fights um, in the actual pro circuit. We got Deontay Wilder and Joseph Parker and Anthony Joshua versus Otto Wallen, December 23rd. This will be in Saudi Arabia. And, like, for me, trying to get into boxing, I don't know Joseph Parker or Otto Wallen. It just seems like these guys can't put together uh, consistent names in boxing. And for Jake, this is definitely a a, a downward trend. I have no idea who Andre August is, but he is a pro boxer with a better record. So we'll see how that shakes out. But enough of this, uh, you know, kind of Bush League, JV League stuff. Let's talk UFC 295 MSG and boy did I feel the MSG pressure on my picks this was the worst card in Bose and TKO's history for my picks I was I had a friend in town we watched it at a sports bar and I was just laughing towards the end of the main card I was like dude I've gotten all my picks wrong um as a podcaster that's definitely defeating takes a little bit of the lore away as a fan but it is what it is we'll keep trekking forward we went 3-7-1 last week. Um, so now we are at 116-75-3. So still really good record overall, but a brutal weekend at MSG. So some good fights that we had. We had Joshua Van, the young bantamweight, with a unanimous decision over Kevin Borjas. Matus Rebecki with a round one submission via armbar over Roosevelt Roberts. 
another Ultimate Fighter veteran, ex-UFC fighter trying to get a chance back, gets submitted via armbar. It was a short-notice fight, though. But we're going to kick this thing off in the prelims. We had Jared Gordon with a round one TKO over Mark Madsen. And this fight started exactly how I expected it to go. The uh, Olympian, Mark Madsen, pushing the pace, coming at Jared, looking to get some clinch, looking to have some better strikes. And, and he was really, I, I thought, controlling majority of the first half. But then Jared Gordon tried to find ways to break into Mark's kind of defensive you know, he's like an offensive shell that he uses his defense. And he landed a big uppercut that rocked Mark and uh, really was able to, to get in for the finish there. So for Jared, first finish in a long time, I would say one of the better wins he's had in, a, in quite some time. Although Mark's almost 40, he's still a competitor, Olympian, you know, I think freestyle or Greco-Roman wrestler. And uh, he, he's shown that he belong, you know, can compete at a high level in the UFC. So huge win for Jared after all the, the bad things that have happened to him. The Pimblet, you know, controversy, the the headbutt against Bobby Green. So uh, Jared's got to be feeling himself in MSG. You can't beat it. Statistically, Jared landed 54 total strikes, 36 of which were significant. He had a knockdown as well. And Mark had 46 total strikes, 35 of those were significant. So Jared finally gets some positives with his first win since August of last year and his first finish since his UFC debut. Now Mark extends his losing streak to two. He is four and two in the UFC since 2019. So what's next? I would love Jared to take on Diego Fieta. I think that would be a fun fight. And for Mark, if he does stay in the UFC and continues to fight, how about Brad Riddell, who has taken some time off uh, should be coming back, you know, in the first half of next year. I think that would be an ideal fight for both men. Then in the prelims, we had Nazim Sadikov with a majority decision draw against Vi uh, Vyacheslav Borshev. And uh, I, I took the Jared Gordon loss. I did part pick Mark Madsen and uh, I picked Nazim and this was a draw. I hate that we've had a few draws back-to-back -back weeks here. That's like the worst thing, especially the way these guys get paid. All the effort and energy put into these fights. But if if there was a draw that I'm like kind of accepting, like, okay, I could understand where that comes from. I could understand that with this one. I thought, you know, clearly Borshev rocked Sadikov early in round one. He stole that round. I think uh, round two, you know, Nazim almost finished uh, Borshev. Clearly, that round was uh, was to uh, Nazim. And then round three was a little bit of chaos. Nazim probably had a better first half of the round. Uh, Vacheslav had a better second half of the round. I thought Nazim should have, uh, or uh, Borshev should have won the fight personally, but I'm not too surprised about the draw. And, you know, if there was a draw to be okay with, like I said, this is really, you know, shit happens. But I just hate having that in multiple weeks and the drama with Abu Dhabi. You just hate to see stuff like that. Statistically, Nazim landed 109 total strikes, 91 of which were significant, and he did get four takedowns, although in seven attempts, still pretty good percentage, and then he had the knockdown. Vacheslav landed 144 total, and 143 of those were significant. So Vacheslav now has a win and a draw this year. Nazim has two wins and a draw this year in his first year on the UFC roster. So what's next? I think there's a chance you could run this back. It was so fun, but I'm going to go with Nazim versus Matus Rebeki. He just won. And uh, for Vicheslav, how about Ignacio Baja Mondes? I think that would be a great uh, fight for him as well. I wouldn't be surprised if they ran it back. But how many draws can you keep running back? They already did the Walker one back. We'll see what happens. So that, that's my take there. And then another fight I picked wrong. What a fight this was. We had Lupi Godinez with a split decision victory over Tabitha Ricci. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought Ricci definitely had more volume throughout the fight. Um, Lupi just landed harder, right? Lupi was getting the harder landed punches. Tabitha came on, you know, in late second round into the third round and really had a, a, a good performance. But Loopy, man, when she was hitting, you could tell. And a lot of the times that damage in the scorecards makes the difference. 
Um, but this was the first time we actually saw Tabitha struggle where she couldn't get takedowns. Um, she wasn't able to, to really make this her style of fight. Usually she's the one pushing forward. She's getting takedowns with brilliant jujitsu and really controlling the women everywhere. Loopy was not having that, that Mexican style sitting in the pocket, big counter strikes, big hooks, big uppercuts, and uh, great takedown defense against the cage that really wore out Tabitha Ricci, who, you know, coming into this was basically the energizer bunny. You almost question if she could tire ever. So um, big moment, big win for Lupi Godinez. And uh, back to the drawing board for Tabitha Ricci. So Tabitha landed 91 total strikes. 84 of them were significant. And uh, a testament to the takedown defense, she was 0 for 6 in takedown attempts. Lupi landed 101 total strikes. 98 of those were significant. And she was 0 for 1 in her own takedown attempts. So Lupi now extends her winning streak to 4 all this year. She is consistently one of the more active women in UFC. And now she uh, moves up two spots in the rankings to number 11. Very well deserved. And Tabitha ends her very impressive four-fight winning streak. She starts a new losing streak and moves down two spots to number 12. So what's next? Well, I think a fantastic matchup would be Lupi Godinez and Mackenzie Dern. They both fought on this card. And for Tabitha, how about Angela Hill, who just had an impressive performance as well? Um, the veterans were taking on a lot of these young women. I think those would be evenly matched, a lot on the line. Uh, so let's make those fights happen. Finally, a fight I got right, and it, it was a battle. We had Astro Boy Steve Ersig with unanimous decision over Alessandro Costa. And, you know, Steve really, really, really impressed in his UFC debut. He got into the rankings, and he was the Vegas favorite here. And Alessandro Costa, although is not your traditional fighter with textbook striking, you know, he's one of those Brazilians that just high energy, durable, powerful, comes at you in all kind of crazy angles, not traditionally, and hard to prepare for. And that definitely rattled Steve a little bit because Alessandro had his moments. He really stood his ground and uh, was able to mix things in well. And it was interesting seeing Steve have to battle through that. But he did. He did enough to win on the scorecards. He landed more strikes in the, I guess, fight IQ and the better technical striking really got him the win here. When we look at the stats, Steve landed 104 total, 74 of which were significant. He had one takedown in eight attempts, so not great there. And he did have a submission attempt and a reversal. Typical flyweight 50-50 grappling that shit's like fucking, they're like Sonic the Hedgehog all over. I'm on top, you're on top, I'm reverse submission. You know, it's wild. And then Costa landed 85 total strikes, 54 of them significant. And he did have a takedown in six attempts. So Steve extends his winning streak to 10. He is 2-0 in the UFC. He moves up one spot in the rankings to number 13. And Alessandro ends his one-fight winning streak, and he does start a new losing streak. So what's next? Well, I think Steve versus Tim Elliott would be a blast of a fight. Um, another veteran that he gets to move up in the ladder board for. Ladder board for. And he had a great fight against uh, uh, Muhammad Makayev. And for Alessandro, how about a fight with CJ Vergara? I mean, I'm excited to see these guys get back into the octagon regardless, but those would be bonker matchups. And let's kick it into the main card. I literally got... Yeah, I got swept in the main card, so I got none of these right. We had Diego Lopez with a round one knockout over Pat Sabatini. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. Boy, oh boy, has Diego made an impression in the UFC. And for him to get a knockout, I did not see that coming. Um, Pat was aggressive. He was looking for takedowns. Diego was able to catch him. He's got that long, lengthy frame. He's not known as a power striker, but the accuracy is what matters. He found the fucking target. He got a quick finish at MSG. Gets to come home with 50 Gs. And his stock keeps boosting. I mean, it only took D Diego 13 total and significant strikes. He had the, the knockdown and was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. Pat landed 10 total strikes, 7 of which were significant. And he was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts himself. So Diego extends his winning streak to 2. He is now 2 and 1 in the UFC. 
And Pat ends his one-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. So what's next? Well, we have, how about, um, oh, I didn't even put these next. Let's look. UFC featherweight rankings. Tieko Lopez, ladies. I mean, who would have thought this guy, short notice, gets called in, almost beats a top 10 ranked fighter. Now two wins, two finishes. This guy, when he wins, all it is is freaking finishes. How about uh, Diego Lopez and Alex Caceres? That would be fantastic. And for Sabatini, tough, tough loss. But how about Jack Shore, who has since gone up to featherweight, two like styles, boom, matchmaking done. Let's make that shit happen. And then the guy who's probably got the best stock of performances this year, we have Benoit St. Denis with a round one knockout over Matt Frivola, 50 Gs. I mean, you could say this fight was going to go either way. I just picked the fighter that had more experience and that, um, you know, has a ton of confidence. And I've just seen more of him. Well, uh, St. Denis sat there, traded shots in the pocket. It did not last long. He found the mark with a beautiful, beautiful kick. And uh, that's what he does, man. Uh, watch out for Benoit. He's calling for Justin Gaethje and the best Dustin Poirier in the lightweight division. So uh, can't wait to see what this guy does next. Very tough loss for Matt Frivola, but those guys are going to go out on their sword in MSG and put a show on for the fans, and boy, did they. So Benoit landed 10 total strikes, six of those significant. He had a reversal and a knockdown, and Matt landed seven total strikes, five significant with two takedowns. So Benoit extends his winning streak to five. He is five and one in the UFC. He enters the top 15 at number 11, what a fucking rocket ship this guy is right now. Uh, the, to, to just burst into the top 15 at almost the top 10 in the, the lightweight rankings is no easy feat. I think from 1 to 30, this is the hardest, toughest, deepest division in, in all of uh, UFC. Um, Matt ends his three-fight winning streak. He starts a new losing streak and moves outside the top 15 rankings. So... Benoit is calling for some big names. I, I'm not giving him Justin Gaethje, but could you imagine Benoit versus Rafael Fazeev? I mean, come on. That's the fight to make. What a banger that would be. And for Matt, how about a showdown with Grant Dawson, who's also coming off a loss? I think those are win-wins. And how about the card? I mean, all the finishes. Let's see. I think there were seven finishes. Let's see. 295. If you like to see finishes, I mean, this is as good as it gets. Again, that MSG energy, it's like big dick energy. These guys show up, they show out. And it all started early with the Jamal Emmers knockout. Then we had, right in the early prelims, the Jared Gordon knockout. So we had one finish, two finish in the first round, three in the first round, four, five, six, seven, Eight finishes, six in the first round. I mean, whoo-wee! Uh, that's why they fight in New York. I'm going to have to try to catch a fight there. You know, I'm going to have to build this podcast, get this shit going so I can go to these types of fights. I mean, Jesus! But moving on, in the women's strawweight division, we had Jessica Andrade with a round two TKO over Mackenzie Dern. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. And this one hurts because I've been picking Jessica Andrade through her last couple losses. And then here she does gets the win. And for me, the big thing that stuck out was that Mackenzie's striking has really not taken the step that I thought it would um, or thought it had. You know, she's obviously changed the gyms and coaches. She's going through the divorce. Supposedly Jessica Andrade is going through a divorce as well. I just don't think that she's leveled up there to be the best in the top of the division. That's why she, she gets up there. She almost th makes you think she could be in the top five and do a championship picture. Then she gets outstruck by, you know, not to throw shade on Jessica, but she is not the most technical striker. Lots of big hooks and, and, and uh, wide loopy shots, not tr 
you know, straight shots, no jabs, but that's all it took. I mean, she battered up McKenzie. McKenzie's tough, durable. She kept coming, um, but, you know, she's just not moving her head enough. She's not coming in with straight strikes. She's given a lot of tells on her strikes, and Jessica was able to take advantage of that. So it's really going to be interesting to see where McKenzie Stern's game plan goes for her next fight. You know, what kind of coaching is she going to get with? Uh, how is she going to take her, her game to the next level? Because there's there's clearly a big gap that she needs to fill. But it's got to be a, a great, sweet taste of victory for Jessica because it's been a little while. And I said Lupi's the most active fighter. I, I might have to say Jessica is. And supposedly, uh, some of that's, you know, they're paying off their other halves. Those divorces are not cheap. So, uh, statistically, Jessica landed 53 total in significant strikes. She had four knockdowns. She was just landed big old shots right on McKenzie's freaking chin. And McKenzie landed 50 total strikes, 49 of them significant, and she was 0 for 4 in takedown attempts. They were not great ones either. So Jessica ends her three-fight winning streak. She starts a new winning streak. She stays at number five in both the flyweight and strawweight rankings. And McKenzie ends her one-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. She moves down one spot in the rankings to number eight. So it seems like Jessica is going to stay at the strawweight division. So if that's the case, why not let her fight Carla Esparza, who surprisingly hasn't fought her yet. You know, in, in, in her 37 pro fights, you would think they have crossed paths for a while. You know, Carla's the, the one who brought w women's fighting to the UFC. She's been in the top of the division. I, I am honestly shocked that they had not fought. Uh, maybe before the UFC, I didn't look that deep. But this would be a fantastic fight. Carla having a good year, coming off her marriage. She's going to be ready to rock. So let's make that one happen. And for McKenzie, again, I think the fight with Loopy would be ideal. That would be the one to make and would be very intriguing. But moving on to the big dogs, the interim heavyweight title shot, Tom Aspinall with a round one knockout over Sergey Pavlovich. 50 G's. Golly, Tom Aspinall. Woo! I mean, I think the coolest trailer I ever saw was the, the battle of two men, Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. But if I'm looking at pure talent in the cage and just dangerousness, Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich are those dudes. They're going to be around for a long time, and I do not think this is the last time they will see each other. The fact that Tom was able to use his speed after getting one of those power shots that Sergey is usually ending people with, I mean, Tom ate that shit. On short notice, like, we talked about Volkanovski, the feet, the, how crazy would this be? Um, who else just took the big short notice fight? Um, it was on that card. Oh, geez. Let me see here. 294. like blinking oh yeah Kamza and, and Kamaru like we were talking about how crazy those th thoughts would be Kamaru winning on short notice um you know is Alexander Volkanovsky winning on short notice I don't feel like I've seen enough love since this for Tom Aspinall I mean the yeah sure heavyweights to knock out or be knocked out that's pretty common but a guy who has really not fought the upper echelon of the division, I mean, the one chance he had was against Curtis Blades. You know, we didn't get to see that through. Tom's knee blew out. 30 years old, in his prime. Before that, his best fight was probably Alexander Volkov. You could debate maybe Spivak. I don't think uh, Tiberia's up there. So he went from, like, bottom 15 straight into that bitch and showed the fuck out. 10 punches, that's all it took. Short notice in MSG, Tommy Aspinall is about to take over the world, and nobody's going to want to step in there with him. I mean, golly, man, I, I'm still shocked to this point. What a freaking performance. Again, stats, not much there. Sergey only landed one total and significant strike. Although it was significant, that's the biggest shot I've seen Tom eat. Very, very, you know, impressed with that. And Tom landed 10 total and significant strikes with the knockdown. You know, Michael Bisbeing was saying 
this guy is going to be the, one of the greatest to ever do it. I thought he was a little too early with that, but I just didn't think he was going to be able to be that durable, let alone just use his speed to outclass a guy like Pavlovich. I mean, who is he going to, who's going to be able to outclass him now? The only one that's going to be able to match his speed is Cyril Gaon, but Cyril Gaon's not going to be able to hang with the heat that he has. I mean, Cyril and Barris tie to Avasa, but the striking from Ty, no offense to Tom Aspinall, there's just levels to this, let alone, you know, he can mix in grappling. So, um, yeah, watch out. Tom Aspinall's here, and he ain't going anywhere. So Tom extends his winning streak to two. You know, he should be 8-0 in the UFC on an 11-fight winning streak. If his knee didn't blow out, you know, that also cost me 11 racks. Still sour about it. Um, but Sergey ends his six-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. He moves down in the rankings one spot to number three. So what's next? I mean, I know that John wants to fight Stipe. That's the only fight either guy wants. I just am not super confident that's going to happen. I think it's going to end up being Tom versus John for the title. I hope so. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. And then for Sergey, how about a matchup with Cyril Gaon? That would be the best fight to make for the top uh, upper echelon uh, true title contender. But um, if it's if it's not, it's going to be John and Stipe. I'm not too sure what Tom's going to do. Does he wait? Like, he's young. He's in his prime. He barely fought there. Do you really want to wait? Um, it's really a log jam, but I hope it just ends up being John and Tom. I think that's the, the, the best we're going to get there. Um, and then in the main event, you want to talk about a guy that's not going anywhere. You could debatably say past his prime, somewhat new to the UFC, Alex Pereira with a round two TKO over Yeri Prashaka. Performance of the night, 50 G's, the whole main card with those finishes, getting 50 G bonuses. And, um, yeah, I just didn't think this fight would end that quickly, clearly. I was talking all year once this got booked, fight of the year, fight of the year. And from what we saw, though, you could see it, you know, imagine five rounds of that. That's fight of the year potential. The way Yuri strikes is just so awkward. He comes at you at these weird angles. Like, he never punches straight and clean like boxers and kickboxers. You know, he's coming at you, like, <laughs> doing all this weird shit. And it was working, until, until he got caught. Um, Alex Pereira has continued to shock the world, will continue to shock the world. I cannot wait to see what's next for this guy. I will not doubt him again. And more, more importantly so, I'm also, you know, excited to see what Yuri does from here. Yuri's still young, just, etched, you know, barely scratching the surface of his prime. With all that time off, there's so many things he could add to his game. I cannot wait to see what happens. He even mixed in the grappling here. I think that would have been a heavy, heavy game plan going through the course of five rounds. But Alex is um, Poetan for a reason. He hits like a freaking truck. And uh, it was on full display in Madison Square Garden. Statistically, Yuri landed 44 total strikes, 30 of which were significant. He did get a takedown in three attempts. And Alex landed 49 total, 38 significant strikes, with a submission attempt and a knockdown. So Alex extends his winning streak to two, both at light heavyweight. Yuri ends his 13-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. He is 3-1 and one in the UFC. So what's next? Well, I think uh, Alex and Jamal Hill is already set for the title. And for Yuri, you know, the, the top of the division's booked, so... If we don't think he waits out and lets some things shake out, the only fight to really make is Nikita Krylov. But it'll be interesting to see how, how fast he wants to get booked again, uh, especially with the layoff due to injury. I cannot wait to see these guys back again. Alex Pereira, Tom Aspinall, they are here. They are staying here. They're the best of the best that the UFC has to offer. And I am massively impressed, man. I am massively impressed. And, uh, you know... It only is exciting to see what happens next for these dudes. But let's preview, you know, no MSG energy here. Uh, a solid little fight night card, though. UFC Fight Night Vegas 82. We got an earlier card. Prelims on ESPN Plus at noon Pacific and the main card at 3 p.m. Pacific. So some fights we will not break down, but are quality fights. 
We have Christian Leroy Duncan getting a short notice replacement fight. We have two contender series heavyweights and Mick Parkin and uh, Kyle Machado. We have Trey Ogden squaring up with Nicholas Moda and Charles Johnson versus Rafael Esteban. But we're going to kick this thing off in the prelims. We're getting that winning <laughs> winning picks back on track. We're, we got Jonathan JSP Pierce, 31-year-old fighter with a 14-4 and record, taking on Joe Anderson Turborau Burrito, 28 years old with a 15-3-1 and record. I think, you know, this is a great fight for the prelims on a fight night card. We're getting two contender series alums, a fighter in his prime who's been on a roll. Both are fun strikers, and I think it's going to make for a, a fun kickboxing fight. When we break it down, Jonathan trains at a fight ready here in Phoenix. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a five-fight winning streak, and nine of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, Joe Anderson trains out of Shootbox. He's on a three-fight winning streak. He is 4-1 and one in the UFC. He is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum, and seven of his 15 wins are via knockout, six via submission, so 13 of his 15 wins are via finish. That's shoot box for you. And again, as a typical shoot box fighter does, Joe Anderson comes out aggressive. Uh, I think, you know, Jonathan's going to try to mix in some grappling here. But for majority of the fight, I think it's going to be a striking battle. I think Pierce is obviously more experienced and a technical striker. But Brito has some serious power, some great BJJ, and he could really catch it anywhere. I think Jonathan's going to, you know, have a lot of takedowns to top control and look to get a TKO finish that way and wear on Joe Anderson. For that reason, I'm taking GSP. We put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving into the main card. We have Euros, the Dr. Medic. 30 years old with a 9-1 record. Taking on Mictebek Oralby. 25 years old with an 11-1-1 record. This is an interesting short-notice fight. That's why we're still breaking it down. Euros and Oralby is making his UFC debut after back-to-back -back finishes in the LFA. So Euros is taking on a guy short-notice that definitely has some potential here. Only 25 years old. Um, you know, that, that's a tough thing to take on short-notice. Breaking it down... Euros trains out of Kings MMA. He is on a two-fight winning streak and is 4-1 in the UFC. He is a contender series alum, and seven of his nine wins are via knockout. Now, Mictebek is on a six-fight winning streak. He is a PFL and LFA alum, impressive for 25. Six of his 11 wins are via knockout and four via submission, so 10 of his 11 wins are via finish. That's that's. Really good. Now, again, weird situation for Euros on short notice, but I'm assuming um, Oral Bai is going to try to wrestle, get top control, and smash his opponents. From what I've seen, he reminds me a little bit of Shavkat Rukmanov. He's got that little, that little bit of a style in him. Um, his last knockout went viral uh, on X, and it was a fucking wild knockout. I mean, this could end up being a very fun, wild scrap. Um, just like we had, uh, with Euros taking on Matthew Schemmelsberger. I saw that in Salt Lake city and Euros is even an underdog versus a young newcomer. This is going to be interesting. Don't skip this fight for, you know, being safe after a bunch of L's last week. I'm going to take the experienced fighter in his prime. I'm going to take the doctor, but I am avoiding him on any parlays if possible, just cause this oral buy too many question marks here for me. Then moving on, we have Luana Pinheiro, 29 years old with an 11-1 record and the number 9 next to her name, taking on Amanda Ribas, 30 years old with a 12-4 record and the number 11 next to her name. Now this is a very fun and evenly matched fight. We get here between two Brazilian women's in their prime. 
I would expect a high-paced, high-energy fight over the course of three rounds. Breaking it down, Luana has a black belt in judo, a purple belt in BJJ. She is a Brave and Contender Series alum. She's on a nine-fight winning streak. Four of those are in the UFC, and five of her 11 wins are via submission. Now, Amanda trains out of American Top Team. She has a black belt in BJJ, a black belt in judo. She has a three and a half inch reach advantage, and she is a jungle fight alum. She is on a one fight losing streak and is one and two since 2022. Now, Amanda has had a gauntlet of opponents since she came into the UFC. She's got the win over Mackenzie Dern, Paige Van Sant, a loss to Marina Rodriguez, a win against Virna Jandaroba a loss against Caitlin Chukagian and uh, Macy Barber and a win against Vivian Araujo. That is the best talent in the division. I really think that experience is going to help her out, but Luana is a hard hitter. She's going to look to get a takedown, maybe win this one on the mat. And I think Amanda is just going to be moving as much as she can, use that jab, use that volume, control the distance and set up her other shots. And she showcased how durable she is. She may need that against Luana uh, as she's a definitely a power striker. I am taking the more experienced Amanda Ribas. I am putting her on a parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Peyton Talbot, 25 years old with a 1-0 record, taking on Nick Slick Aguirre. 27 years old with a 7-1 record. How crazy is that in the UFC today? We're getting a 25-year-old and a 27-year-old this deep in a main card. I don't care if it's an apex card or not. I mean, it's it's two young studs, technically one UFC fight total to their name, uh, but they are thought of very highly, have fan favorite styles, so this should be a good one. Breaking it down, Peyton is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's making his UFC debut since that fight in August. He is an undefeated fighter on a six-fight winning streak, and five of his six wins are via knockout. Now, Nick is 0-1 in the UFC. He is an Anthony Pettis FC alum. He has a three-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Three of his seven wins are via knockout, four via submission, so all seven of his fights via finish, and he is on a one-fight losing streak. I think Peyton's just going to be too much. His volume, his unorthodox striking ability. Nick is pretty well-rounded. He's definitely a grappler-heavy style. If Talbot uh, gets sloppy, he could be in trouble. But I would assume that he tries to keep things on the feet, keeps movement going, and hits him with some big power shots that keeps him from wanting to duck in on those takedowns. But if Nick could control him throughout the fight, that's something I have not seen Talbot withstand. I, I, I've, I know he has grappling ability in him, uh, but it's going to make it interesting. But I'm going with the 1-0 Peyton Talbot. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Chase the Dream Hooper, with a, or 24 years old, with a 12-3-1 and and record, taking on Jordan the Monkey King Levitt, 28 years old with an 11 and 2 record. Now, this is a fun, interesting fight. We get uh, one of the UFC babies who's been in the UFC for a while already, uh, a young f- fighter hitting a stride, uh, taking on uh, a-, a guy who's just about to enter his prime. I think this is a very well matched up fight between two well rounded fighters. And breaking it down, Chase has a black belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is a Contender Series, Cage Fury, Titan FC, and Island Fights alum. Five of his 12 wins are via submission, four via knockout, so nine of his 12 wins are via finish, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Jordan is a southpaw fighter. He trains at a syndicate MMA. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He is an LFA and Contender Series alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-1 since 2022. Six of his 11 wins are via submission. 
I do think Chase will have the striking advantage, clearly the reach advantage, and debatably will have the better MMA grappling. Um, as, you know, both guys are good in BJJ. I, I think when it comes to mixing and takedowns against the cage, moving with the cage in your way, the whole idea of MMA grappling, that's where Chase has the advantage. You know, anything is possible when you go into a striking battle. But I do think Chase, although 24, has shown a ton of growth in his last like year and a half of fighting. And I think we're going to see more of that on display. Um, you know, he's getting a guy that that has some good experience and some quality fights and really is, is good pretty much everywhere. So this will be a good test for Chase. I believe in the dream hooper. I am picking him. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. Whew, what a couple fights these are. We got Michael Morales, 23 years old, speaking about babies, an undefeated 15-0 fighter, taking on Jake, the Celtic kid, Matthews, 29 years old with a 19-6 record. Now, here we get one of the more dangerous young fighters on the roster, taking on a fighter who's about to enter his prime, who has a ton of UFC experience, and a win here for Michael Mann. He's going to be blasting through the roster at 23 years old. He's on a rocket ship, no doubt. But breaking it down, Morales is a contender series alum, undefeated fighter on a 15-fight winning streak, and he is 4-0 in the UFC. 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout, and he has an impressive 6-inch reach advantage. Now, Jake has a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-2 two two since 2021. Eight of his 19 wins are via submission, five via knockout, and three of his six losses are also via submission. Now, Jake is a solid fighter who is good everywhere, but the striking that Michael has I just think is going to be too much. Whether it's the power, the speed, and the confidence of this young undefeated fighter, I expect him to get a finish in this fight. I really do. I think he will use his length and his power to, to, to disrupt Jake. But Jake's durable. He's been in wars. I would not be surprised if he was able to withstand that. I just don't see how he's going to be able to un, outstrike this young stud. For that reason, I think Michael Morales stays undefeated. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on to the main event, we have Brendan All-In Allen, 27 years old with a 22-5 record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on Paul Bearjew Craig, 35 years old with a 17-6-1 record and the number 13 next to his name. I mean, think about MMA in the past three years. This would never have been a thing. I mean, we have some dudes that are younger than young as shit that like it would have been impossible to be rostered on a UFC card years ago. I mean, we got Joe Anderson Brito and JSP 2831. That's not crazy young. We have Oral Bai making his UFC debut at 25. We have Talbot 25, Nick Aguirre making his UFC debut at 27. Chase Hooper 24, Michael Morales 23. And then Brendan Allen, who's already your top 10 fighter at 27. The growth of this sport is crazy. It's a rocket ship. The next three to four years is going to be even crazier. The amount of talent coming in at a youthful age and how good they will be in their 30s is almost scary to think about. But looking at the main event here, I mean, we get a, a fun fight between two good strikers who have really improved in the striking. Brendan Allen, a lot more grappling, clinch heavy. Paul, he's the BJJ guy, but but they've really come around with the striking and found a way to be efficient enough to mix it in. And uh, Brendan Allen, you know, nasty, nasty ground and MMA grappling game. You could say the same for Paul. He's good at striking off his back, good jujitsu, lots of um, uh, getting lots of arm triangles. Uh, so it'll and triangle chokes in general. Um, but Brendan has been up and has. Uh, been seen as an up-and-coming title contender for quite some time. He's not even in his prime yet. You know, he, he trains with a, a bunch of studs. And he's taken on a veteran here who's having a career resurgence. He's moved down to this division. 
and uh, we'll, we'll see how he could do at the upper echelon. He had a very impressive win against Muniz. So breaking it down, Brendan trains out of Killcliffe FC. He has a black belt in BJJ. Two of his last three fights have been performance of the night. He's been showing out. He's a Legacy FC, LFA alum and former champion, and is also a Contender Series alum. He's on a five-fight winning streak all since 2022. He's been active. He took a couple L's, wanted to get that out of his mouth, and kept coming along. And 13 of his 22 wins are via submission. Now, Paul has a black belt in BJJ. He won bronze in the 2015 Abu Dhabi Worlds. Five of his last nine fights have been performance of the night. 13 of his 17 wins are via submission. Four via knockout. So all 17 via finish. Four of his last six losses have been via knockout. He is on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-2 two and two since 2022. And this is only his second fight at middleweight. Now, I thought Paul has looked good at middleweight. I just don't think he's going to be better with the striking, the clinch game, or MMA grappling than Allen. Could he catch him in a submission? You know, if Allen looks to take him down, I mean, that's definitely possible. But I think he's going to have to find a way to get those submission attempts off. If Brendan is controlling, getting that ground and pound, you know, he's, he's going to be well-trained, and I just don't see that quite happening. Maybe Paul will look to get some takedowns of his own. Uh, maybe look to get a finish, you know, just come out slugging, look to get a finish as well. You never know with the bear Jew. But I'm not putting money on that. Brendan Allen is just so freaking well-rounded. I think the young up-and-comer continues his winning ways. I'm taking Brendan. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. What's next? Well, we have a Thanksgiving week off and then another fight night card. It's going to be going down in Austin, Texas. This is headlined by Benil Dariush and Armin Sarukian. It's a loaded fight night card. Then we have that fight night Shanghai card that got moved to um, Las Vegas. And then UFC 296 in Las Vegas. So lots of MMA action coming up. Enjoy the holidays and go Grizz. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.